Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hello, and welcome to the 98th edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association, a conversation between woodworkers. I'm Diami Plotke of PenultimateWoodshop.com, and I'm here with my special co-host, Zach Higgins of NV Woodworks. Zach, how are you? Doing good. How are you doing, Diami? I'm doing excellent. Excellent. Um, and on the line, we have our special guest this week, Phil Pinsky of JakeAndEmmy'sDad.com and of Reclaimed Audio Podcast, which is where I suspect everyone knows Phil from. So, Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. No problem. We're excited to have you on. Um, so let's jump right into what everybody's working on. Zach, what do you have going on in your shop? Well, right now, <clears throat> I'm working on a couple of different pen blank designs. Uh, I recently came out with some granite blanks, uh, so it kind of looks like a granite countertop, but um, I'm coming up with a pink one. Somebody requested Texas pink granite, and so I'm trying to work on that. I guess it's a granite type. <laughs> now, these <laughs> blanks a, are actually made of granite, or are these castings that look like granite? No, they look like it. Okay. They're actually a polyurethane. Um, I've kind of come up with a, a way to get that rock stone look. Okay. And so working on pink next. And then uh, the only other thing that I'm really working on is uh, live streaming, trying to kind of get that going. So Now, you were saying you were on Twitch that with on the live streaming? And where is that on Twitch? Yeah, Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Envy Woodworks. That's where my channel is. So I'm starting to do that, and uh, that's going to be an interesting <laughs> interesting uh, challenge, but it's going to be fun, I think. So I'm excited. The first episode actually is going to be tomorrow. Uh, yeah, oh, tomorrow. For some reason, it's I thought you'd done, you've done some already. Well, I, I've done testing. I, I didn't really... Uh, I just kind of turned the, the cameras on and then people showed up and so <laughs> I had to kind of improvise a little bit. Yeah. And then the second one, I was, it was the test and I was ready. And then, so this one is going to be the first real episode tomorrow. Um, I had to, had to make sure all my equipment was set up properly first and get a little bit of practice, but it's, it, it was the two that I've done were really fun. So I'm, I'm excited actually to get really, really started with this stuff. Excellent. Excellent. And Phil, what do you have going on in your shop? Uh, literally tonight, I will be making uh, or finishing making another whiskey box. No. something that I talk about on the podcast quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I've made I've made probably about uh, I don't know I'd say thirty five forty of these things, and it's my best selling item on my Etsy store right now. Okay, so I'm constantly making them. Um, so I'm working on that. I just released the the part four, and which is the final part of the uh, reclaimed Rubo bench. So that's out for a few days now. So, uh, I watched it. It's a nice video. Check that out. <laughs> you, and when Thank you, you. Thank you very much. Yeah. In the video, you talk about having used the bench for a little while. So you've now had the bench done for three, four weeks now. Yeah. Okay. And yes. Yeah, uh, in the video, it seems to be working well. You still happy with it, with the design? Um, I am. It's a little small. So that means I've got to be pretty strategic with where I place my weight as far as when I push it. Like I can only. If the uh, I only have an end vice right now, I'm going to have a, a face, I guess, a face vice okay. um, soon enough so that I can do so I can edge plane longer boards. But right now I'm working with just the end vice, and I I have to make sure that I'm either pushing one way or I'm pushing towards the table. I can't push to the short side, otherwise the thing starts to tip a little bit. So um, it's it works great as long as I keep those those uh, those strategic moves in, in in my mind as I'm doing it. Okay, and I know it's small, but how big is the bench? It's uh, 22 inches wide and 47 inches long. Okay. And, and, you know, I'm complaining about the size, but the truth is I'm going from a rickety little table that I had before to an actual woodworking bench, and the thing's been a revelation. Like, if anyone's <laughs> hesitant on pulling the trigger or buying one or making one, just, just do it, man. It's going to change your life. Everything that I do is so much easier, so much better, so much faster, and so much more convenient using a real woodworking bench. I, I absolutely second that. Um, I have, I have a bench I got off Craigslist that is nothing to 
it's nothing fancy, but it is a, it is an actual bench. Um, and it's not all that much bigger than yours. It's about 24 inches. I think I'm maybe somewhere between 55 and 60 inches long. Um, so I understand the size, but I would certainly okay. recommend you add weight to it. How would you do that? Um, well, mine isn't as sturdy as I think yours is, so you might do something differently. But I'll tell you what I did with mine was I took three-quarter inch MDF and I made panels yeah. that I screwed uh, across the two legs on either end and across the back so it kind of boxes out the three sides and it stiffened the whole thing up Okay. and three-quarter inch MDF is heavy as hell so it actually added quite a bit of weight to it. Now, even now, it's still a little bit on the light side but I noticed a, a dramatic difference when I added those MDF sheets both in terms of weight and in stiffness. Okay, I might look into that. I, the, the thing is that right now I have it so that um, there are braces that run along the long and the short sides, so it's kind of like it's, you've got braces between all of the legs. Mm-hmm. So I like to put my foot down on them and, and press down as I'm working. Oh, okay. So That'll I think boxing up, but I might do an inner box. Well, I could, I could do an inner box, you know, so mm-hmm. instead of an outer box, the way you're, t- you're describing right, it, right. I do an inner one. That would good amount of benefit there, yeah. The I other like thing I've, I've seen people do is, on the on the lower stretchers, they'll make like a, a shelf down there, and yeah, kind of recess the shelf. So there's a there's a lid on the shelf, and you pull the lid out, fill it with sand, and put the lid back on, and it holds a bunch of sand in between those those lower stretchers, and that's nice and low center of gravity, and adds a bunch of weight. That's that's definitely something to look at. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I did. I uh, I put. Uh, I have basically a shelf and I just put a bunch of tools and things on that shelf and that adds a little bit of weight with an MDF shelf basically. So, Okay. Cool. All right. Now, let me get back to your whiskey box for a second, Phil, because I was looking at them on your Etsy store the other day and I'll have links to that in the show notes for anyone who hasn't seen them. Um, are they all basically the same box made of different woods or are you actually varying the design of the box from box to box? Um, they are basically the same box design, except that I make them to custom sizes based on the bottle and the glass that the person oh, wants okay. to use. And okay. the personal, yeah, the personalization comes in the, uh, in the toner transfer method that I use. So if someone wants their name or their crest or their logo, I'll put that on there as well. Um, but the thing that makes them different is, Almost all of them, I've graduated from different levels of joinery okay. uh, just to keep it interesting for myself. You know, I've done, uh, I've done rabbit joints. Right now I'm doing uh, just butt-jointed screws, but I'm plugging the holes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have I done? Uh, just a whole bunch of different kinds of things just to keep it interesting. You know, when you make something 40 or 50 times, <laughs> you know, it starts to feel like work. It you know, does. That's definitely the- what I don't want. By the third time, you're getting good at it, and you're feeling productive, and then you get to the fifth time and the sixth time, it's like, oh my gosh, why do I have to make another one? Well, you know, I, I really, I was like, you know, this is taking up almost all of my shop time. It, mm-hmm. I'm not able to be creative in the way that I'd like to be. I'm not able to focus on doing YouTube videos more consistently, but they're 200 bucks a piece, Canadian, which is where I am, and so it's like, it's really hard to complain because we sort of kind of come to rely on that income so you know it's what do you do you know so i've chosen to i've chosen to pay for my car at least every month with this stuff so that's kind of nice <laughs> there's a lot to be said for that <laughs> yeah well well that's great well um i don't have all that much going on in my shop since the last time i talked about this um my bandsaw continues to be broken which is pissing me off, but I have to take the motor off and go get it fixed, and I've not bothered to do that, so I can't blame anyone for that but me. Um, one thing I have gotten a teeny bit of shop time in on is my headphone stand. It's a stand. It's really a rack. and I, The definition, I, as I define it, is it doesn't hold itself up. It hangs on the wall, so it's a rack, not a stand. But it's, um, it's a sculpted piece that is more just an experiment in sculpting than anything else, but it's a simple... It's a block of maple, a block of purple heart, and a block of walnut, just some scraps that I've shaped, and ha- I need to continue shaping and sanding to uh, turn into something that's going to mount on the wall and hold my headphones. Um, 
So it's just a, it's an interesting project that I'm spending five minutes here or there. I've got my Fordham set up next to it, and I've, I'll, I'll walk in, I'll run the Fordham for a few minutes, make a few more carvings, and then um, and then finish that up. So that's really the only thing. It's just puttering along in the shop. I, I tend to go in fits and starts, and a couple weeks ago, I had a lot coming through here. And once those projects were all done, now it's time to spend a bit more time with the family and work on other things until I get back here in a, in a big block. But this weekend, actually, um, you guys can see this. I have a delightful one by eight of oak that needs to turn into, actually I have two of them and they need to turn into door treads that are a Christmas 2015 gift for my father-in-law. Uh, so <laughs> they will hopefully get done this weekend. <laughs> hey, you know, I listened to the last podcast where you talked about the bandsaw, and maybe this is crazy, but it's a relatively new bandsaw. Isn't there a warranty that's still in place where you could be like, hey, Laguna, uh, this broke? There should be, but I bought a floor model. Um, so mm. I bought it sight unseen with no warranty. Uh, that being said, gotcha. from what I, if, if what I understand motors cost, even if I buy a brand new motor and get it installed, I'll still be about $200 in the black compared to buying it new. So I don't necessarily okay. regret it, but everyone has told me, we'll just call Laguna. And it's like, well, you know, I, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I should have known you probably thought that through. Yeah. No, no, I appreciate, I appreciate the advice because I, I wish it was just that simple. <laughs> And all things what being equal, to the motor? It, it ate itself. I really, I, uh-huh. I'm not sophisticated enough to tell you, and I haven't taken the motor off and brought it down to uh, my tool guy to, to figure out exactly what's wrong with it. But I was making, I don't have one here, I'll show you guys. I was making these, these plant hangers that I don't remember. We've had one hanging on the back of our house for five or six years that my mother-in-law bought us at a craft fair somewhere. And it's a single one by four, and it's about three foot long, mm-hmm. and it has the four notches cut in the side and a terracotta pot kind of slides up in and locks in it hangs two pots on both sides so it hangs four pots and as i said we've had one for years and i had to make oh i made one we went up to massachusetts for my aunt's birthday a couple weeks ago and i made one for her for her birthday and my wife shared it to her friends and all of a sudden i had to make 10 of them (laughs) <laughs> and so I'm here and I'm, it's just one by four of oak and I'm just making repeat cut after repeat cut after repeat cut. I had the bandsaw going for about a half hour and these were not hard cuts per se. It wasn't stressing the motor, but it was just running and running and running. And all of a sudden it cut down to about half speed and I immediately shut it off and just to look around and see if there's anything wrong. I couldn't find anything wrong. I reached out. I feel the motor. I felt like it was on fire. So I left it off. I rearranged a fan. I had the fan blowing. I did other things. I came back to it an hour or so later. It was nice and cold. I turned the saw on again, and it went from half speed to stopped. And that's uh. it. Now you press the button and nothing happens. And um, I, I refer to him as a tool monger, but there's a place down uh, around the block from where I live called Reliable Tool. And I've known the guys there since I was old enough to walk. And I was talking to them about it, and based on what I described over the phone, they think that the motor, it, there's something wrong with the motor. So I have to pull the motor off the back of it and bring the motor down to them, and they'll they'll check out the motor. And if they're correct that it is the motor, I may be able to just get this one rewound. I may have to get a new one. It's unclear what the solution will be to fix the motor, but the problem seems to be in the motor. So we'll take it from there. Oof. Did you get this broken tool at Reliable Tool? No, I did not. I, okay. I did not. I that, <laughs> that would be the ultimate broken... irony, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, the broken tool came straight from the uh, the manufacturer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but so that is the saga of uh, of what's going on in my shop. Um, but let's get back to you, Phil. Um, tell us about how you got into making whiskey boxes and uh, and other things in the shop. Sure. So. Um... You know, I've sort of been kind of handy, you know, that's something that I inherited from my father, just sort of fixing things around the house, but was never like a woodworker or builder of anything. The first thing that I really made, and I, I think I've told the story a couple of times, was this, uh, was a projector. And there was a website back in the day called LumenLab.com. Mm-hmm. And it was basically a forum and you could buy a kit. 
that would you know you'd have to build the carcass of the of the projector but they would supply with the lens and and all, and all that stuff and uh and so i built that and it was shoddy i mean when i say <laughs> horrible work we're talking we're talking shoddy well it only needs the to hold a piece of paper yeah well i don't know if it even did that but <laughs> the thing worked but I, I made it basically with a dremel that had a saber saw attachment okay so you're seeing the level of tooling that we're talking here it was I mean, it was crap. I don't know if you're PG-13 here or not, but this was crap. No, go for it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, but it gave me a taste for making something. And then, you know, fast forward really until I bought my house, you know, with my wife, maybe five years ago, I didn't have a space to really make. I made that mm-hmm. at my parents' house and then I moved out on my own and I didn't have a place to make. So when I, when I bought my house, that's when I, you know, I bought some more tools and, you know, I did the Craigslist stuff, you know, just sort of building out my collection and uh, and then finally, I I got like a rickety old table saw, like one of these skill saws that you <laughs> breathe on it and the thing just sort of jingles. So I, I played with that for a bit, maybe three weeks, and I said, nope, I don't want that. And and I got myself a um, a Delta contractor saw with a you know cast iron top for a hundred mm-hmm. bucks, and I fix it up. I put a new fence on it, and that's really when I went to town. But the thing with the Etsy store, which is really sort of what launched my I guess my ability to make things more consistently was uh, my son. We were moving him from a crib to a bed okay. and he really couldn't get up there. He just, he just, he's, he was tiny little legs. He couldn't hop up onto the bed. It was too high for him. And uh, I was like, you know what? He needs a step stool. I bet I could make that. So I, I made one and I did this, like I painted it and I did, um, I masked it so that I had his name on there mm-hmm. and it was really, really cool. It came out well. And, and then, one thing led to another. One of my wife's friends saw it, and she wanted one, and a whole bunch of people saw them. And I said, you know what? I've heard of this Etsy thing. Let me try this. Meanwhile, to date, I've probably sold about 50 of these things, um, both on Etsy and to people that I know. Now, let me just and stop you for one second. Whisk- 50 of them over how long? How long have you been Since on Etsy? Since April of last year. Oh, wow. Okay. Since April of last year. That's great. I, I, yeah, I cut you off. I'm it's sorry. been a I'm good amount of success. Those. No, I think there's a bit of a lag, so it's oh, we'll have to just keep that in mind, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean it's, it's been it's been a good amount of success with those, and those just are quick. I make them with uh, birch plywood and, and and pocket holes, and and they just come together. The, the time-consuming part with them is is painting them. So yeah. I paint them all by hand. There's no decals or stickers or anything. Okay. It's, um, what I do is I put down masking tape. I'll uh, I'll put down some spray adhesive and any design the person wants to do I'll do airplanes uh, you know kids names sports whatever it is and then I'll exacto out that design I'll pull out either the positive or the negative mask of it and then paint and then you know you pull off the mask and then you see the paint underneath so you're so, and you're really, just exactoing it out by hand yeah okay yeah I'd love to get a plotter but this is what's what's working now and uh, and they come out really well. No, they're, be- and, they're beautiful. I never would have guessed you did that by hand. Yeah, it, that's that's kind of fun. It feels like a little bit of artistry, even though I'm basically just a tracer. <laughs> if, I'd love to. If anyone, if anyone gets that movie reference, tweet the three of us. I would love to see if <laughs> who's getting that movie reference. I won't even say it, but you know, I'd love to see if anyone's picking up on that. Just a tracer. Um, <laughs> and the whiskey box I made as a gift for somebody one time. I don't remember who it was. Uh, honestly, I can't remember the first one that I made, but it just seemed like a good idea. And I put it on Etsy and then, you know, that's all she wrote. I, I've had some really, really great success with that. Honestly, no complaints there at all. No, it's a, it's a, it's a great box. Do you, I'm assuming you could really put anything in it, uh, not just whiskey, but that said, the, I guess it's really the brand. That's what you have now is a brand of these whiskey boxes. Um, is it is it tied to whiskey? Do you get into the whole culture around whiskey, or is whiskey just a popular thing on Etsy so it, it searches well? Um, it's niche, you know, and and I've I've said this uh, quite a few times, but I, I'm happy to continue saying it on Etsy. Don't make cutting boards. Don't make something that has millions of, you know, competitors that, you know, you're getting Chinese knockoffs and all this stuff. Find a niche. And this happens to be one that I found. Um, There's a website I've promoted before. I'll promote it again. The guy's name is Richie and the website is called marmalead.com. And what it lets you do is search keywords and it'll tell you 
all the listings that pop up for those search words and it ranks them and it shows, it plots for you what the price points are and how many have sold at those price points. So it really lets you dial in what it is that you're, that you're doing, how you're, how you're marketing it, what your price points should be and all those things. And I've used it and it's really, really helped. Um, there are a whole bunch of other tips, you know, like, yeah, it's been, it was fantastic for me to get going. Um, you know, cause it really helped me narrow it down. Cause I could have just said, you know, alcohol box, uh, you know, <laughs> gift box, but it was important, you know, to, to really narrow it down to, to something that is searchable and indexable and all that stuff. And you're right. Whiskey is kind of hot right now. You know, it's the new vodka. If you want to, mm. you know, I guess speak in that language. Do, do you, that, that's a good tip right there. That marmalade thing. Cause you're pretty much dead in the water. If you don't get the actual keywords, right. And no one will ever find you. The only way to get known otherwise is to literally pay for that promo, which you can do, but I was blowing my brains out with that stuff. You know, I'd, I'd sell yeah. four a month, but it would cost me three of those four, you know? So like, what am I doing here? Yep. So oh, until yeah. you get going yeah. and you build enough credibility and you get store reviews and, you know, until you sort of get the momentum going, you know, pushing until you get to that tipping point, um, you can pay to get better views. That's for sure. But I, I look yeah, at the organic. I have the same problem on Etsy. I, I have the well, same problem on Etsy. It, you just pretty much unless you market out, you know, outside of Etsy. <laughs> so if you do all the work, Etsy's a good, you know, basically PayPal. That's kind of the experience I've had. I don't really get a lot of new leads there, and so I once I got my website up, I do most of my marketing for the pen blanks, just Facebook. Twitter, you know, just kind of sharing social media stuff and just Etsy hasn't, you know, and, and realistically, I probably don't have the right keywords <laughs> in my Etsy. So mm-hmm. I didn't do a lot of research in that, that realm, but yeah, that the marmalade thing, that's, that's brilliant. I would look at that. And I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk when I say that you really, um, if you, if you're not, if it's not generating the leads for you, then you're doing something wrong because it's a platform that if you're, that if you're working it, will work for you. And that's what I found. I don't market anywhere other than on Etsy. And I have all the business I really want. And it gets to points where I have to sort of take a step back and I'll jack up my prices just to artificially put the brakes on the orders. Could I ask you two questions about that, Phil? Is You say you don't market anywhere but on Etsy. Are you still like paying for showing in Etsy? Or by marketing, you're just setting your search terms properly and doing your research in terms of what you should be making what your price points are and what your terms are. Uh, I don't pay to promo anymore. Um, and I haven't done that for a while. Um, I, what I do is I, and this was a tip from a buddy of mine was, is I, every couple of days I will renew a listing. So it goes to the top of anybody who's favorited my store. So they'll see my stuff again. Okay. Um, and the other thing that I do is that because I'm Canadian and, but most of my business, I would say 95 of my business is to Americans. I know that I've got a sweet spot that Americans will spend. So I'll adjust my price based on the foreign exchange. Oh, okay. Nice. So what so I like, should be I doing know, is making and marketing something that Canadians want. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. But I'm competitive because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid in Canadian dollars, but I'm marketing to Americans. They're getting better bang for buck. And because of the foreign exchange, I'm doing a little bit better. So it's a very it's a fortuitous sort of event. I don't think I could sell for as much if the exchange rate was you know par you know let's say what it was three four years ago. I'd have to lower my prices, but luckily there's the exchange rate that's helping me. But I, Americans are looking to spend probably about 150 bucks on this particular product. Okay. So I'm adjusting based on exchange rate. Right. I, I was on the site two three days ago when I was pulling together the show notes and I noticed the whiskey boxes were in the hundred and seventy, hundred and eighty dollar range, which you were saying they're going for about two hundred dollars Canadian, so that's the exchange rate working. Um, yeah, exactly. It's dynamic. Yeah. Now another question about Etsy is do you happen to know outside of whiskey boxes and children's stools is it is it a lower price marketplace? You know, across the board, is that hundred and fifty dollars the sweet spot, or in the right market, do two and three and four hundred and a thousand and two thousand dollar items sell just in the right market? 
That's a tough one. It's hard for me to sort of speak for everybody. I can only speak from my experience, but I would I would say that probably the hundred and fifty dollar to two fifty when someone's looking for gifts and a high end gift is like a wedding mm-hmm. or and that's really what it's been for me. It's like I've, these whiskey boxes have been used as proposals. Okay, they've been used at like it's actually a great story. But this one girl was proposing to her boyfriend. And she used it. She had like a quote saying on the lid and then you open it up and it said, will you marry me? And she sent me like pictures and a whole story about it. It was, it was pretty wonderful. <laughs> That's adorable. Um, but you know, people, yeah, you know, I've had it so that um, fathers give them to sons, sons give them to fathers, um, uh, grooms give them to their best man. Uh, the other way around happens. So it's really a very gifty gift. Like no one's buying this for themselves. So okay. if you think about it, you know, what, what are you willing to spend on a gift? For someone you really care about, that's basically the price point that's been working for me. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, from my experience, custom made is more the the higher end, or you know, like more like the bigger furniture, higher dollar. Um, Etsy's usually kind of gifts, also from my experience. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Tim uses custom made much more than he uses Etsy. He uses Etsy for the smaller stuff, mm-hmm. and he uses not to speak for Tim. I mean, Tim can certainly speak for himself, <laughs> but that's based on our conversations. That's been uh, that's been his experience. His custom made is where he gets his furniture leads, and okay. Etsy is like you know smaller stuff. Etsy is more craft items. Custom made is furniture. That, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's more – it's like artisanal craft. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. I don't need to correct you. It's absolutely right. It's crafts. Right. And and in terms of both of those things, I think we're only talking artisanal. Um, you know, if it's something we can buy at Michael's or at Target, it doesn't apply to this conversation. Fair enough. <laughs> You're absolutely right. All right. So um, let me just get – you know, we are a podcast about woodworking, so I want to steer back to your woodworking. So you're you start – you're making – the step stool for your son, you realize they start to sell. Um, you get into the whiskey box. What other kinds of things do you make or do you want to make? Or um, what what else around the shop is, is drawing your attention and, and where do you want to go? Well, uh, when I started the Etsy store, I figured, you know what I should do? I should start a YouTube channel, show people how I make this stuff, and you know, then that will drive more Etsy business. Yeah, as it turns out, people who watch these kinds of videos <laughs> make, make their own stuff. They're not looking to buy it from me, you know? <laughs> so, but doing that really got me plugged into this community of, of makers and woodworkers. And it, it plugged me into uh, the Facebook group. I don't, I don't know if you want me to mention that or not, but, you know, that's the I like to run their Facebook well. group. Would that be the one? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. I've heard of it. So, yeah, well, everyone's heard of it. There's like 1,600 people on it now. But everybody's a member of this, and it really yeah. got me plugged into this whole community, and and I learned a ton from it because you throw out a question there, and within ten minutes you've got fifteen responses, and it, it's in, it was an incredible learning tool for me. As was YouTube, watching people's YouTube videos mm-hmm. is like a university degree in woodworking and in making. It's phenomenal, and uh, so you know, getting I got into the YouTube videos, and I was making them pretty regular for a good little while until I. I had to go to China and India for work, and after that, I came back and I was just destroyed. You know, like those time differences kill you. And I, it took me a while to get back into it, and I've sort of dribs and drabs gotten back into it. I've, since then, I've put out two videos, which is the uh, three videos, okay. which is the uh, the last two parts of the of the bench. And I did this little uh, step uh, ladder bookshelf thing for my daughter, which came out really, really nicely. I made that out of uh, reclaimed plywood and, you know, I painted it and stuff. And uh, that came out well. Um, But the the thing that I'm doing right now, which is really exciting for me, is I got this tip from uh, from Howie uh, from July with Fitzworth. I had a problem with dust in the garage, which I share with my wife and I share with my kids. Mm -hmm. It's a two-car garage, and dust was getting everywhere, you know, like in the shoes, on the toys, everything. It was just driving my wife crazy, which, of course, in turn drives me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so what I did was I put up a partition in the garage, which is basically just a steel cable that runs the length and and a tarp that's strung through the grommets mm-hmm. and fixed the whole thing right up. It's beautiful. Oh, that's and great. And so now, yeah, it worked so well. And now that other side, which is my shop, is now a permanent shop. So I'm building it out. 
and I've built uh, I built cubbies and shelves and and wall mount, and I'm building a tool wall right now, which I'm so excited about. It's so much fun. Um, I've seen you posting. Bench. I think mostly on Instagram. All those little the. I think every time you make make a home home for a tool, you're posting it. It's great. Yeah, I love it. It's it. But that's what's great about Instagram. Like it doesn't. You don't have to put on these like massive complex projects. Every tiny little thing that gives you a tiny little bit of joy, post it and share that, which is Absolutely. what I've been doing, and I've been getting a great response. Um, it's a lot of fun that way. So yeah, these little tool holders uh, have been great, and I'm making them out of hardwood, and which means that they can they, they can they don't have to be as thick as if you were making them with the softwood. Mm-hmm. So that's been really fun, and and so the tool wall is right in front of the bench, and I've got a great little workflow going, and it's, it's exciting, interesting to to build out the shop, you know. I think most of your listeners, most of the listeners, you know, uh, sort of already have these shops and maybe occasionally you do a, a reorg, but the first time you really build it out for the first time, it's, it's really, really exciting. Like I'll stay up at night. I'm like, okay, I should move the router table here. I should have the <laughs> chops over there. No, no, no. Scrap that. You know, and you're just up for an hour talking these things around until you just finally pass out. But I've been having a blast, a really, really great time with this whole thing. I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Now, Zach, you just did a bunch of re- reorganization with your shop too, didn't you? Yeah, uh, I pretty much tore the whole thing apart. And you know, I don't do a whole lot of woodworking anymore, and so I kind of realized most of my shop was set up for milling rough lumber and you know, really woodworking stuff. <laughs> I'm like, you know, maybe I should rearrange things and focus on the the resin casting and the the turning that I do now. And so, yeah, but I, I, I understand where Phil's coming from that when the first time when you're setting up shop, man, it's, it's a game changer. And so you're, you plan every little detail and you love it. And it just makes the shop so much better. All those little things that you do to, to upgrade it. Mm. I, I've just found that it's like, you know, working on little cobbled together, rickety tables, clamping all your work pieces to that table, you know, putting your foot down on, on one of the ledges to hold it down while you try to plane something. It's just, yeah, it's fun. You know, it's good. And you're, you're getting what you need to get done. But once you properly set it up and you're working on a proper bench, it just, it makes it a joy. And you, you just, you get much more excited to do even the silliest thing to plane a board. I'm excited. You know, it's just, it's wonderful. If anyone is still working on the rickety table, Please stop right now and build out a bench. You know, just do whatever you've got to do. Give yourself five by five feet. Do anything you have to do to set up a permanent space so you can work like a gentleman. You know what I'm saying? You know, you just gotta you gotta do it right. I absolutely agree. And I think this probably goes for everyone in that is that there are some tools and or parts of your shop that aren't completely set up and you need to move a couple things out of the way or into the way every time you want to do it. Um, but then you've got those other parts of the shop that are permanently set up, not even perfectly, but functionally. And when you go to those spots, be it your bench or a table saw or sanders or planes or wherever it is where you can just step there and do what you have to do and step away and go to the next task, those tasks become about the task and not about setting up for the task. And it's it's such a zen moment in the shop when you can just do what you need to do and not worry about how you're going to do it. You're, you're so yep. right about that. I, I used to have it that I have all my planes strewn about on a workbench that I had at the other side of the garage. I'd go back and take one into the closer to the garage door. I mean, we're not talking to, you know, it's not the West Wing here. It's just, it's a, just a car garage, but it's still a whole bunch of strides to get back and forth and it put one down walk back the other way. Now I have them on a rack right next to the bench. I reach for one, I put it back, you know, it's just, it's just smooth and it feels like I'm doing it properly and, and it makes the whole operation feel, I, I don't know, like I guess more gentlemanly, you know, it's just I, weird, I, you know, in Yiddish you say <laughs> you work like a minch, you know, you do it properly. <laughs> I, I <Yeah>. absolutely agree. <clears throat> I, it's, it's the same thing done very differently, but I have a compliment of Festool Sanders and <laughs> the sustainers they come in are great if you're an on-site carpenter, but if you're working in a shop, the sustainers are the least efficient way to store anything. So oh, yeah. I went from 
shelves on the wall with stacks of sustainers on the shelves to a rolling cart that holds all my sanders and grinders. And it lives next to my bench. So when I go to grab one, I just turn to the right and I pick it off the shelf. I plug it into the hose and I start working. And it's it's just been a revelation to not spend half the time switching from one toolbox to another toolbox, but to be able to just pick tools up and use them. It, it, it is gentlemanly, like you said. I, I can't imagine how much time we all waste, you know, wrapping cords, you know, uh, picking up, putting away, setting up, as you say, you know, if you're working for an hour and you're spending 20 minutes of it, you know, getting ready and then cleaning up afterwards, what are we doing here? Yes. And what are we really doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. It's about the work and that's the way I feel anyway. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So, okay. So you've got your shop moving towards being set up because you've got this this divider between your half and the family's half you you're controlling dust and you're you're working to permanently set your half up once you get on top of the thousands of whiskey boxes and step stools you're going to keep selling what do you want to make next thing i'm making is a is a desk so um right now when i do the podcast every week i have this little um I guess it's like a, 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 a tiny little desk that I made that allows me to, it's maybe, I want to say 12 or 14 inches off the ground. And it kind of, it's kind of like a TV tray. And I just, I'm sitting on the floor right now and leaning against the couch and I pull this thing up to me and okay. it's a tiny little desk. So I work it with a, with a laptop and I've got my little, uh, my microphone, you know, that, uh, the Samson, Samson go mic and it just clips on it. And it's a nice little thing, but you know, week in, week out, there's the, again, it, this is just like a, a replication of the workshop. I'm setting up, I'm taking down. I'm setting up, I'm taking down. Oh. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a desk. I have a spare bedroom here in the basement, and I'm going to turn it into a little podcasting office where I could just, you know, it's uh, it's 8 o'clock. Okay, time to podcast. I walk downstairs, and it's ready to go. So I don't have to go down to 745 and set up the whole thing and do all that stuff. So I, I'm going to do that. And we have these, um, I don't know if either one of you have any kids, but we have these little foam mats that are kind of like jigsaw pieces. Uh huh. I know and, exactly what you're talking and, about. I happen to have three okay. kids, but I know exactly what okay. you're talking about. Okay. So, so, so there you go. So, uh, so we, we use them, we use them out on the deck. We had a whole bunch of them out on the deck because when the kids were younger, they, we put them at the little tykes picnic bench. And if they fell off, they'd be okay. They wouldn't hit their head on the on the deck. Mm-hmm. But uh, these things are all like kind of gnarly and dirty now. But what I thought I would do is I would arrange them, spray paint them black, and then stick them to, I guess, a thin piece of MDF. And then I'd put it behind the podcasting desk. Okay. So, I, so there wouldn't be too much reverb off the mic. Uh, do that kind of thing. Like I really want to set it up so that it's a proper recording station. I, I absolutely understand. I don't know if you saw the picture I, I posted just prior to this. I think I posted it on Facebook. Um, and it shows my table saw with my laptop, my Zoom recorder, my direct box audio box, my mic, my hard drive, and all these cables strewn across my table saw. Um, yeah. So, so it's a good – I mean I keep it all in one case. I know what I'm doing, but it's it's easily 10 if not 15 minutes of plugging everything in, turning everything on before and after every podcast. And I used to do it down yeah. the basement, and I had to give my wife back her office. Um, <laughs> so I have piles of computer parts and ultimately a dedicated computer that I plan to mount on the wall in the shop. But until then, it's just going to continue to be this mess on the table saw. So I'm envious of anyone who has that permanent setup, and I think that it's going to you're going to it's going to make it's, it should make the start of the podcast, that nice Zen moment that is using the tools of the bench because everything is just there and works. Well, that's it. That, that's what I'm looking for. So I'm going to be making this thing. Uh, it's not going to be fancy. This will be my first desk that I made. I've made a tiny little kid's table and I did a video on that and that came out really well. Um, but this is going to be my my largest piece to date. I've made coffee tables and stuff, but I've never made a desk. And I'm going to be making it just out of some uh, two-by-tens. Okay. I've let them acclimate in my shop. They've been in there for probably few weeks so i'll probably get started another week or so and then uh and then i'll get to work i'll make a you know a laminated top and and just some legs i'll keep it simple for for where you are a two by ten is made of what type of wood um it's spf so i'm not sure it could be spruce pine or fir right okay but it's not the probably fine the romanticized southern yellow pine 
No. There's, there's nothing southern or, or yellow about Montreal. <laughs> no, no, no. I would say, though, at least it's pine. Um, yeah. What we get you is know, dark you might fur. Get lucky. I don't think so, though. It's usually characterized by darker, darker resinous rings, right? I, I haven't seen any of that. Yeah, the southern yellow pine has darker resinous rings. I, I played with someone when I was down in Tampa, but what we have is Doug Fur, and I actually, my son, it's not, it, it, it is similar to the kids' step stools that you make. I made one for mm-hmm. my son, but it was modeled based on the shaker step stools. So, okay. um, it, so it's dovetailed instead of having the top overhang the way yours overhang, but functionally it does the exact same thing. But I made his out of a Doug Fur 2 by 10 and I would not ever make anything else out of a Doug for two by ten after having made <laughs> no. that. Um, my my work it must have immediately for... sprung out of square like the the minute you finished making it. Well, I, I I don't mean to cut you off, Zach, but it um I let it acclimate for a very long time. I milled it over a couple of days, letting milling it, letting it you know pancake a little bit or uh, potato chip a little bit, milling it again. So I got it pretty close to flat and then the whole thing is held together by dovetails so it it can't really pull itself apart at this point um okay. and it's done fine it's each of the boards are roughly an a true inch thick um okay and it's it's held up fine but no the it's it's kind of splintery it's knotty and it does cup like there's no like nobody's mm-hmm. business um so okay. yeah i don't i don't recommend Doug fur for building though apparently it's strong but it's no fun but what were you going to say, Zach? Okay. Doug first. My my workbench is made out of Doug fur. <laughs> okay. And it's terrible. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend doing anything but using Doug fur for two by fours in your house for studs. <laughs> Even that, I I don't know that I'd recommend. I really I'm really a fan of Timberstrand <laughs> for two by fours. Yeah, yeah, that stuff is good. Um. Okay, so actually, I I had a question for Phil. Absolutely. Um, do you use, you know, I, I, you, you do the reclaimed audio and, and you you generally use reclaimed materials. Do you, are you mixing in, you know, new materials? You were talking about the, the two by 10 or do you say two by 10, one by 10s for the, the desk, I think. Um, do you yeah. use uh, only reclaimed materials or are you doing kind of some, some of it you buy, some of it you just reclaim? Yeah, I'm not I'm not the zealot that uh that Tim is, but even Tim uses new material when he has to also. No, I'm I'm doing my best to work with reclaim because I it's there, you know, so I'm being opportunistic. I'm not I I think I'm not as much an environmentalist as I am an opportunist, you know, like uh if I can use reclaimed I will. I think I like the look. It's very uh trendy right now, so it makes sense to use it. Mm-hmm. And for the most part it's free, so it works out really well. Um, but if I have to buy, which, which I have, you know, then I, then I will, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, for example, even on the reclaimed Rubo, and I mentioned this in the video, like, you know, I, there's no, there's nothing to hide there. The base I made out of, uh, two by fours that I bought, I just didn't have the time or the inclination to put up that fi- or find that many, uh, two by fours to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you usually get the materials, the reclaimed materials? Uh, my office has a couple of well, my office. The company that I work for has a couple of warehouses and pallets all day long. No problem, uh, especially for pine. I've been able to find a couple of hardwood ones, which was nice. I got a, there was a, a, a pallet that we had some, um, bathtubs delivered on. <laughs> we have a bath division nice. and, and it had cherry runners. So that was pretty cool. Mm, wow. Uh, yeah. So. Go ahead. I've never worked with reclaimed lumber. Um, I've graduated from S4S to rough lumber, and I have a big joiner and planer, and I'm used to milling it myself. And I guess in that regard, in terms of taking rough lumber and milling it to be perfectly square and dimensioned, I appreciate the investment in time. Um, But when I consider reclaimed lumber, given my fear of metal fasteners against cutter heads, uh, not necessarily <laughs> in terms of my own safety, but just in terms of the expense and frustration of damaging cutter heads. Um, it's always struck me as putting the environmentalism aside, because there's no arguing with that, uh, and I agree with all that, but 
it struck me as an inefficient way to work, a less costly way to work in terms of expensive materials, but in light of the time it takes to recoup reclaimed material and turn it into usable material, um, it struck me as very inefficient. But I guess I have two questions about that. Is One, am I thinking about it wrong because the trendy reclaimed is not milled four square and remade into something that you can't tell it's reclaimed, but left as a reclaimed state so people know it's reclaimed, in which case I'm overestimating the amount of time it takes to prep it. Um, or B, if you are actually milling it and prepping it as you would you know, a true rough lumber, am I overestimating how long it actually takes? Um, so to answer one, I, I'm, my boxes are, are not uh, left in a rough state. I am milling them to S4S, but I am leaving in the nail holes. So okay. There is that, uh, I want to call it heritage. Um, uh, I think you are overestimating a little bit the amount of time that it, that it takes because what I'm using is a demo saw. So I'll cut the nail out from under uh, the slats, and then there's just a tiny little nub that's got to be poked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the remaining nail head, and then uh, and then I'm sending it through a planer. You know, I use the table saw to joint. I'll glue it up, and you know, those are my those are my whiskey box sides, um, and the let's say the bottom panel and then the lid panel that I'm using is is usually reclaimed plywood. Believe it or not, I'm able to get my hands on quite a bit of uh, quarter inch reclaimed plywood. Okay. So almost uh, it's, it's actually a pretty easy as far as what I'm doing. But, you know, if you were talking about, you know, like getting, uh, I don't know, much larger pieces for, for furniture. Yeah, I agree with you. That's a, that's a tough road to hoe. That's, that's much more difficult proposition. And I think it requires a lot more work. Uh, you know, so for my specific application, which is really all I can talk about, it's not all that much work, to be honest with you. Okay. And again, I, I don't mean this to sound like I'm negative against reclaiming. From a from an environmental standpoint, I, I'm absolutely for it and I appreciate it. I'm just talking about this in terms of a of a production and and making perspective as to what the what the opportunity cost is and what the what the time is. But um in terms of those items you make, I'm assuming that counteracting any slight additional labor because you're using reclaimed lumber is the benefit in terms of the marketing of the fact that it is made from reclaimed because you're selling items that the reclaimed is part of the story and part of what makes it a valuable um, bespoke piece. You're absolutely right. And that's an excellent point. And I should have mentioned that, you know, the value of, of the, of the piece of the item that I'm selling predominantly comes from the fact that it's reclaimed. That's what somebody is searching for. That's like number one keyword. So they're not going to, you know, let's say talk to Canadian dollars because that's the net that I'm getting. No one's paying $200 for a pine box. You know what I mean? It's the mm-hmm. fact that there was, th- that, that you are keeping this out of a landfill, that it is trendy, and that there was a lot of blood, sweat, and sometimes tears that goes into pulling these apart and turning them into into usable lumber. So th- that is that is a fact, absolutely. Okay. Um, Zach, before we go into the, uh, the questions, is there anything else you wanted to ask? Uh, no, I, I was, I was just kind of curious about the, the reclaim thing, uh, getting into pens and, and being able to cast, uh, wood in, you know, in resin for the pen blanks that I do. Um, I actually reclaim a lot of wood now and, and use wood that you wouldn't otherwise be able to to use. And so I was just kind of curious about that mainly. Hmm. You're so you're stabilizing the reclaimed wood with, with resin. Uh, well, yeah, I stabilize the wood, but then I'm also casting it in, in urethane resin. So like acrylic pens, and then you add some wood in there. And, uh, at this point, my cutoff bin is tiny. <laughs> you know, like it's, I, I right. save everything because anything can be just tossed in, you know, colored resin and it looks beautiful. And, and the funny thing is the worst parts of boards are the best for, you know, it has the, the most wicked grain for turning, <laughs> but you have to stabilize cool. it first. And sometimes you have to put it, uh, you know, cast it in something else, you know, and kind of add that resin around it. So it's actually a useful, big enough piece that you can actually turn. So it was it, it, cool. interesting stuff with that. I was kind of curious about that too. 
Um, where are you, where are you, you got stabilizing with a? Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. Are, are you um, are you stabilizing with a vacuum chamber? Yeah, yeah. I, I use uh, cactus juice, uh, resin, and then just stabilize the wood. So you're pretty much plasticizing it, um, and it's not right. susceptible to, you know, moisture content and all that kind of stuff. So there's no movement. No movement. No. And I mean, cool. uh, when you're talking pens, there's not that much movement yeah, small anyway, <laughs> I don't think. But yeah, um, fair enough. one of the big reasons I one of the big reasons I actually stabilize it is just because non-stabilized wood will float in casting resin. And so the stabilizing not only does it, you know, make sure that you're not going to have any moisture issues, but it doesn't float. So I can just drop the stuff in there and it's easy. You know, I'm not trying to keep everything, all the wood pieces down in the resin. Okay. Very cool. And if you haven't, uh, some of Zach's videos, I don't want to say they're earlier videos, but last, when we had Zach on as a guest, has to be almost a year now, Zach? Yeah, Something like that. Um, We spent a lot of time talking about this because it's a fascinating process. And he has some videos from around that time about using the pressure pot. And I'm staring across my shop at some um, some blanks of timber strand, which is timber strand is two by four framing lumber that's made of OSB. So it's um, it's a two by four board made of OSB. And I was I shipped them off to Nevada. Zach stabilized them for me, and I haven't done anything with them yet. But I can't. I, I got to figure out the right project. I want to really accentuate them because I don't know. Did is the um, is the cactus juice purple or did you do what? Why are they purple? Let me let me ask you that. <laughs> uh, you can just put dye in the the cactus juice, and okay. so it's it's dyeing it throughout. It's not just like putting dye on top of the surface. It's literally dyed all the way through. And the prop the reason they're purple, they were supposed to be red. And I was a little bit low on the red, and so I added some purple, a little tiny bit of purple, just to make sure there was enough resin, and it turned the entire thing purple. And I was like, oh, man. The purple's fine. I thought it might be a little maroon. (laughs) A light bulb just went off, and let me ask you a question specifically about that. I'm sorry if this is a little tangential for the listener. Um, After you stabilize – let me me backtrack. The timber strand, again, it's always B. It's it's fake – fake wood it's man-made wood um Mm -hmm. it's more more glue than it is wood the but you're talking about for your pens you're taking gnarly pieces of real wood and stabilizing them so could i take a non gnarly piece of real wood and stabilize it just like a, a small piece of of maple or um i'm just looking at what i have in the shop i wouldn't want to stabilize purple art but mostly what i have is maple and walnut um Could I put a piece of that and stabilize that? Yeah, you can put anything in there. I think okay. some of the tool manufacturers or like the 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 smaller, you know, boutique tool makers, uh, chisel mm-hmm. makers and stuff, uh, blue spruce, I think yeah. comes to mind. I'm not sure what process they're using, but I think they're using stabilized wood for their uh, handles and yeah. I, some people I uh, I can't remember who's making the planes. Scott Meeks. Um Scott, yeah, he's yeah. using stabilized wood for those now. Okay. Uh, okay. So, yeah, so you can anything. And can I take two pieces of stabilized wood and glue them together with PVA glue as I normally would non-stabilized wood? Uh, that's a good question. I would probably use epoxy. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't epoxy. think PVA is going to work that well uh, because at that point, there's you know the PVA kind of wants to grab onto the wood fibers, which you don't have anymore. It's all plastic now. Yeah, it's not really. I mean, there are there are wood fibers, but I don't think it's going to work as well as something like epoxy. And how does it take finish? Um, probably not very well. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what what type of finish but, he's talking about. But you could die. You could die the stabilization, and conceivably, mm-hmm. you could just sand and buff that out and not need finish. Yeah. Yeah, um, I do that on a lot of the pens. Okay. Uh, you can you can put a top coat finish on. That'll be fine. You know, put lacquer or whatever, or polyurethane. It'll take that, no problem. But if you're trying to, like, stain it or something, eh. No, it would just be a top coat finish, but okay. Um, yeah. I don't know yeah. if you guys saw the the, ar- the Bar Top Arcade I made, and I, I'd ship that off, yeah. and my son liked it. And now I have to make one for us. Still, probably it's got to be a year <laughs> away. But I've been 
going through in my head how I'm going to make it. And I think I have some ideas with <laughs> little stabilized pieces all glued together. Um, nice. That'd be cool. Yeah, that bar top, bar top arcade was awesome. No, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I saw that. that. I am uh, super jealous. It's been like a dream of mine for like the last 10, 15 years to build up a, uh, build a stand-up arcade. Okay. And I still maintain that I will build one. Um, I'm not sure that I'm going to do it the same way you did. That was <laughs> incredible. I don't think I have the skill or the patience to do what you did, but... Uh, I definitely want to do a, well, an arcade machine. I will say, if you have the patience, you definitely have the skill, because the only skill required to make that was patience. T- from a from a woodworking perspective, it was not yeah. terribly challenging, but it was terribly tedious. Um, okay. And the hardest part of it, I mean, it's it's gluing up panels and and fitting the hardware. I thankfully didn't have to do any of the wiring, but my understanding is that actually, you know, plugging in the Raspberry Pi and doing the wiring is not rocket science um no that's definitely i agree with you yeah yeah so but the, the i don't i don't know if i could stand the tedium i think i think the patience would probably be my biggest challenge yeah and the the, <laughs> the trick to it is have all your hardware before you start to build because it all has to fit the hardware oh, yeah. so it's all based around the hardware and um i think we were talking about instructables before or maybe we we're talking about before the show started but Mm-hmm. That the one I built is based on a design on Instructables. It's a little different because the one I built has a rollerball, and the one on Instructables doesn't have a rollerball. Um, but I used the layout on Instructables, and I literally cut the template in half, and I separated it, and I figured out how much room I needed for the rollerball in the middle, and I did all my layout, and I made full size templates out of MDF for the control panels to lay out all the buttons. That mm-hmm. was the hardest part. Once you've got the buttons laid out, as long as you drill them accurately, the rest is, it, like I said, it's just tedious. It's lots of slow steps, as most woodworking is. Um, mm. But it's not... I, it's a project I'm, I'm very proud of, and it's by no means the hardest thing I've ever made. It's not the coolest thing I've ever made, but as a woodworker, I've never seen a bar top arcade made of wood they're always made of sheet uh sheet goods which is perfectly valid and some of them are awesome with the graphics and the paint and there's nothing wrong with that but to make one out of actual hardwood i just thought was really cool so i'm glad people liked it me too um i think everyone who looks at it would tend to agree with you that is it was really really cool oh thank you um but the the next one I don't know how much I want to reveal because I don't know how much the design is going to change and I have no concept as to when I'm actually going to get to it. But <laughs> if I actually end up making one for my house, it's going to be really cool. Okay. Um, is it similar or you're going to make it out of sheet goods? Oh, no, 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 no. It's going to be – it may be made out of timber strand okay. or it may be made out of um, actual hard good. Right now I'm thinking either a maple or an ash. But it will. It won't be just sheet goods. There will not, other than the panel that fits the monitor, and the panel that fits the controls. There won't be a flat surface on it. And wow. those okay. two surfaces will literally be carved into it, not, um, not applied. So it's um, think. Um, uh, give me a second. The father of the American craft furniture movement. What's his name? Father. Do you want me to Google it? No. Uh, oh, I, I know who you're talking about. I can't yes. think of it either. William Morris. No. no, 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 no. I went and saw a show of his at the Mad Museum. I met him. Um, Gustav Stickley. Nope. I can't think of it either. I know what you're talking about, though. Um, well, if you're listening and you, it comes to you, why don't you me a tweet? It's been a long day. Uh, Wendell Castle. There you go. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah Wendell Castle. Wendell I was Castle. thinking that, too. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking in terms of an, ar- of an arcade cabinet. But as you, I said. You know what you should do is build in a Sam Maloof rocker chair <laughs> into it. Well, and then you're going to have the ultimate arcade. You're absolutely you make- right, uh, <laughs> but one of the reasons why the arcade is at some point in the in the distant future is because the Sam Maloof Rocker three crates of walnut that I have sitting in the corner of the shop need to get built before I turn to making an 
and arcade well, cabinet. Hey, combine them. <laughs> there you go. You're yeah, make, it, make it a driving arcade machine. So the San Luis <laughs> rocker is the seat for your pole position machine. Yes. That is actually really tempting because, at least personally, <laughs> the driving the games I play are driving games. I <laughs> promise you, no one has made a Sam Maloof driving game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Paul Leminski up in, up in Canada may uh, may be working on that as we speak. He seems to make everything in that in that wonderful sculpted form. <laughs> oh, I, get, I guess you better get to it. Then. Yeah, yeah, and de- definitely videotape that. I don't. I think that that'll be a pretty good YouTube video. I, I hope so. I actually have, it's nothing terribly exciting, but I actually have footage of the entire bar top arcade build that I have not done anything with. I have to, it's all stop motion. So it'll be like a 15 minute video of the entire build start to finish. And I may that'll break awesome. it up. Um, but I, I have to just assemble it and, and publish it. I haven't gotten to that yet. Um, for some reason, I have to publish these stupid audio things every couple of weeks. So that ties up my editing time. <laughs> but I hear you. We've uh, yeah, exactly, Phil. All right, thank you for coming on. Before we wrap up the show, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity. Any and everywhere you can be found online, where you promote things, where you podcast, where you sell your your whiskey boxes and your stools and anything else you make. Where can people find you? Um, I'm on Instagram at Phil Pinsky. I'm on Twitter at Phil Pinsky. Uh, YouTube is Jake and Emmy's dad. Uh, same for my Etsy store and reclaimedaudiopodcast.com has all of those links and has uh, everything to do with the reclaimed audio podcast. Which, by the way, is just a fantastic podcast that people ought to be listening to. Thank you very much. Oh no, problem. yeah, we have a blast. And that, frankly, that that's that's the point. <laughs> um, I hope people. Personally, I think that when the hosts are enjoying the conversation, it is more enjoyable for listeners. Um, but for at least everything within this community, if the hosts aren't having fun, why would you do it? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I think I think it's immediately obvious to the listener when the conversation is forced or when it flows and when everyone's having a good time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um to any listeners who listened to our last podcast with uh, with Ben Strano and were a little disappointing by the lack of raw woodworking we talked about, I apologize. But that was a really fun conversation, and it was <laughs> one of these times where I, I presume that it, you know it was appreciated because as participants we had a really good time having the talk. So I assume that people have a good time listening. Um, and I think that's universally true when you when you have those cases where, you know, the, the hosts and the guests or the hosts and the hosts are just kind of going through the motion, not really getting into it. And, you know, this is episode 98. I'll admit there have been a handful of them where I've not really connected to the to the, the guest or the other person. The or my co-host hasn't connected to the guest and not not every show can be fantastic, but we certainly try to get in and have a good conversation. Um, and I think that's important. For sure. Look, I mean, again, internet, you know, you, we see the analytics, you see the analytics, you know, when you had a good episode and when your audience reacted well to it. So, you know, that's all the feedback that you need. Mm. All right. Well, um, if, uh, if anyone wants to actually see this, (laughs) I want to call it a train wreck, but it's far from that. Uh, see, see us in the flesh. Um, I'm saying us (laughs) because I'm speaking for, um, for Sean, my my hardworking co-host, who as we record this at now currently ten forty-five at night in on the East Coast, Sean is at work. He works as an engineer, and they're doing um, on-site supervision for a big engineering project. And he's he's working nights for the duration of this project, which at this point is kind of undefined. Um, so hopefully he gets out of his night shift soon. But Sean and I, and hopefully you guys, I would certainly encourage you to come. We'll be at Woodworking America, which will be in uh, Covington, Kentucky, September 16th through the 18th. We'd certainly encourage you to join us there. Um, and that's about it in terms of our planned events. So that just about wraps up the show. Zach, you want to tell people where they can find us on the iTunes and Google Play? Definitely. If you're missing us already, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Once you're subscribed, you'll be sure never to miss an exciting episode. While you're there, please leave us a review. 
Thank you for listening to the Modern Woodworkers Association. If you like the show, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com. You can follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national, like the MWA on Facebook, or circle Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. And the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion. So for myself, Zach, and Phil, thank you so much for listening, and go have fun in the shop. <laughs>